Hello, welcome back to Beyond Busy, the show where we talk productivity, work-life balance and happiness. My name is Graham Alcott and on this episode I'm talking to Shay Abakin. Shay is the Chief Executive of the youth homelessness charity Centrepoint and an all-round inspiring human being. I think you're going to really enjoy this conversation. Uh, just before I dive in, just wanted to say that this is uh, just, a, I'm recording this little link just a few days after the first episode, the one featuring Natalie Reynolds, uh, found its way out there into the world. And I've just had some really lovely feedback from people. So just wanted to say thank you if you've, uh, firstly, if you've downloaded the thing and listened to it and enjoyed it. And a double thank you if you have then sent me a tweet or a Facebook message or an email uh, saying either how much you liked it or what you didn't like about it. And all that feedback has just been so helpful. Uh, it's that sort of point in the process where you put something out there for the first time and then you go, oh, hello, lizard brain. Uh, yeah, like I'm pe- petrified about what people are going to think of this thing. So really great to, to have that over and done with, really, and to have people saying, yeah, I really like the concept, really like the idea of uh, what you're trying to do with it. So, um, yeah, thank you for being here and for being part of this. And if you haven't heard episode zero, on that episode, what I basically explain is that this is part of a wider project where I'm going to write a book, and the book is going to be about productivity, work-life balance, and how people define happiness and success in their own lives. So the idea is that every couple of weeks, I will be putting out another episode talking to somebody who I just think has an interesting take on one of those three themes. And I'm really open to ideas, by the way, if you've got suggestions of who you think I should interview, uh, then do drop me a line. So it's just graham at thinkproductive.co.uk. I'd love to hear your thoughts. And if you haven't subscribed yet, you can do that via iTunes and Stitcher and all the other platforms. And if you want to know how to subscribe, because you've never done that before, then you can just go to getbeyondbusy.com. Just getbeyondbusy.com. And there's an FAQ page that we've created on there just to help people who've never subscribed to podcasts before and just to show you how to do that. So please do subscribe. That really helps us to get the word out. And please do share this with your friends and all that other good stuff. Anyway, enough of me. Let's get on to the conversation with Shay. So Shay Abakin, Chief Executive of the charity Centrepoint. I've known Shay for quite a few years. Uh, I sit on the board of Centrepoint, so I know the organisation and Shay uh, pretty well. And Shay is someone who juggles a lot of stuff. He's someone who will make plans and things will be in place and then the government will just change how they think about young people and homelessness and really move the goalposts. He deals with a huge variety of stakeholders, everyone from senior officials at Kensington Palace, because Prince William is the patron of Centrepoint, uh, right through to uh, high net worth individuals who might become donors of the organisation, through to obviously the staff and young people themselves. And just a whole, you know, interesting array of different stakeholders that, that Shay's talking to the whole time. He is someone who I think is just cool and calm in a crisis. Like he's someone who has, I think you're going to hear, just a huge... Uh, amount of resilience. He is someone who just uh, glides through very difficult situations with just a lot of skill and just a a very calm, uh, reassuring persona. And he's just a very inspiring guy. So I think you're going to really enjoy this. He's a guy who's really making an impact in the world and helping Centrepoint to to grow its work and support even more young people. Uh, And in the middle section, you're going to hear from one of those young people piece, Uh, just about how you can help as well. Um, So I started by talking to Shay about what was going on outside his window. Shay's office is 
uh, just in the corner of um, the floor that Centerpoint occupies in Oldgate. And uh, looking out of his window, um, Oldgate's been undergoing somewhat of a property boom. And we just started by talking about how the view from his window has changed over the years. I, I often say actually that I can gauge the temperature of London's economy. <laughs> just by looking out of window. Just by looking out of this window. <laughs> because um, five years ago, if I looked out, all I saw were abandoned cranes. Yeah. yeah. You know, um, now, I've just seen buildings sprouting <laughs> up right, left and centre. Yeah, it feels like, it feels like there's Some, a lot, lot happening around here, for sure. Um, and we've moved time slots, so tell me what is happening this afternoon. Um, so it's a bit of a glamorous day, right? Uh, yes, it could be. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see how that pans out. But just before I see exactly what is happening, actually that's one of the things that is fascinating and interesting about Centrepoint. And I don't know whether that is common of um, other charities, I can't say, but, but sadly it's our experience here that um, things can evolve very, very quickly. <laughs> um, last week, there wasn't a Richard Gare yeah. on our horizon. Today, he's spending virtually all day around us, you know. Um, he's so this is Richard Gere of Pretty Woman fame that's and, correct. and all of that stuff. Yeah. That's correct. So he's, he's, made a, he's made a film about homelessness, which has a private screening today ahead of a premiere. And he's going to spend this afternoon at Dean Street meeting young people and just talking about homelessness and sharing his own experiences cool. um, of it. Not that he is homeless himself, but just sharing some things that he has done to explore homelessness mm. and what he learned from that. So for example, he was saying that, and I'm, I'm actually not at all surprised about this. He was saying that uh, he sat on a park bench uh, in New York for 45 minutes. Yeah. And they had people walking up and down and nobody, but nobody, paid him any attention whatsoever. Right. Some people yeah. just shielded their eyes away. <laughs> Some people walked faster. Some people shuffled along and looked at him like a bit of a specimen. Yeah. Uh, but nobody paid him any attention whatsoever. I'm not surprised about that because actually that is the experience of street homeless yeah. people. So I think you'll be talking about some of those experiences. And then you'll be learning from the experiences that our young people have had themselves. And then in the evening we'll all pack ourselves off to uh, this private screening. So we'll be the first to see the film. Cool. And your Richard Gere story there just reminded me of a photo of you and Prince William yes. with woolly hats on yes. um, sleeping out in London. So yes. maybe that's a good for people who don't know what Centerpoint is and yes. as an organisation um, what Centerpoint does, maybe that yes. gives you just a little uh, link into just explaining very briefly the work of Centerpoint. Well, in, I think in short, the work of Centerpoint is to help young people who have fallen off the tracks to help them get their lives back on track and set them on their way to a good future. Yeah. Um, that's how I like to see what we do. Um, there are proxies for that. One proxy <coughs> is a bed. Yeah. So we are recognised and known for being a homelessness charity. Uh, but that's only the start. If you ever just give young people a place to live, then actually all you're going to end up doing 
is a palliative that passports them from being homeless young people to being homeless adults. Yeah. So you've got to do a whole lot more than that. The bed is the, if you like, the entry point. Uh, what you've then got to do, and which is what we do, is to hunt that really down into three other things. One, how can we help you to get healthy and stay healthy? Uh, two, how can we help you gain some skills? Because if you haven't got those skills, you haven't yeah. got anything to sell, you can't break homelessness. To break it, you have to have some skills that mean that you, you, you can earn some money. And then three, how do we help you to move on once you gain the skills and you're able to get a job and things like that? Uh, how can we help you to move on so that you never have to be homeless again? It doesn't always work, but, you know, surprisingly, it works a lot of the time. Yeah. And I know Centrepoint very, very well, I should just say for uh, the listeners that I'm on the board of Centrepoint. And yes. Have, so I've known you, Shay, for many, many years. And I think what's interesting just about hearing you say that is just, uh, A, it, I sort of think, how many times must you have had to give a spiel? <laughs> Almost exactly like that in, in those words. But then secondly, just how kind of passionate you sound as you deliver that. And I guess that must be something that you never lose in the job that you do and I think it's just really interesting uh, just having this conversation with you around just working you know in a job that is full-on and really busy and mm. I think today mm. proves that and also really varied so you're mm. talking to homeless young people one minute and Richard yeah. Gere the next and Prince William yeah. the next and yeah. big funders and high net worth individuals and all the rest of it but also it's like it's very much driven from the heart I think yeah. in terms of the work that you do so um, I think that's something that just inspires me in um, not just you Thank actually you. but lots of people within within Centrepoint um, who I've worked with quite closely but I'd love to just dig into that a bit more and just yeah so you've just explained a little bit about um, Centrepoint as an organization and you're the chief executive mm. now most people will know chief executive as a term in the corporate world how do you think it differs if you're the chief executive of a charity well I mean I think that uh, I don't know whether it's the same for all charities but I can, I can talk about myself I think for me uh, the way that it is different is that the passion that you had earlier on that you were talking about um, is a driver, but that mean, that then means that you're focused all the time, or I am, on what's happening for young people and how we can make that better. Yeah. Uh, and and for me, that's the anchor around which everything else revolves, mm -hmm. whether it is a conversation with, with Prince William or it is with Richard Gares and that this afternoon or with a major funder or with a young person, that's the anchor, that's what's at the core. Yeah. Um, and I, I think for me it comes from this place that um, I do believe that there is no young person in whom there isn't some capacity, some uh, interest, some assets, some talent. Uh, they may not know it, in fact, often yeah. they don't know yeah. it, and we may not know it, but our task is to help them find themselves, mm. find what that talent is, and then help them to spark it into life. And I think that's where it comes from, really. I really genuinely don't believe 
that there is a young person we can't help. That yeah. doesn't mean that we manage to help everyone, but I start from the place that we can absolutely help everyone. You know, mm. and I've seen it too many times in Center Point, and that's what's encouraging and gets us going. The speed with which young people can actually change their lives can be amazing. It can be phenomenal. Yeah. From really a starting point that you might say is not even zero, is negative, to someone going to college can be so quick that you wonder what they've been doing all along. I tell you what it is. <laughs> they just haven't had the opportunity, the push, yeah. the spark. Uh, to to help them bring out what's in them, and that I think that's our job. Yeah, and I remember actually one of my very first memories of Centrepoint after being recruited to the board was my board induction mm. and walking into was that Dean Street? I can't mm. remember. Was it Dean Street? Mm. And uh, you were filling in for the then chief exec at the mm. time and sort mm. of delivering the first briefing to us as the new trustees. And I still remember this really vividly. You saying. When young people come in here, we make them a deal. Mm. And, you know, it was that the whole spiel around mm. this isn't just about help, this is about what are you going to do to help yourself Absolutely. and responsibility and all that. And um, it struck me as I was listening to you talking then, it's like this is, this is a kind of organisational level uh, sort of network of, of, of parenthood or sort of yes. parenthood replacement in some ways, right, yes. in just that kind of driving and guiding of young people that needs to happen. And yes. I think... What's interesting for me is that that really feels culturally something that seeps through the organisation, particularly those that work with young people, but also, you know, it seeps upwards to those of you yeah. on, on the senior management team as well. And I think that, that for me, is something that's, that's really interesting. So yes. I suppose in terms of the chief exec role, it gives you almost like a double bottom line, right? So you're still answerable to the board and funders yes. and there's, yes. there's the same responsibility as if you were running a company. Yes. Um, and then there's, as you described, the, the bottom line for, for young people as well. Yes. So I'd love to know um, whether you see, like, are there times where there's a conflict between those two things and how do you wrestle with that extra layer of, I guess, responsibility and, and, and you know, motivation there? Well, I, I don't think that that's a problem only for us. I think it's a problem for most charities. Mm. Actually, if you if you said to me, um, there's there's been a lot about charities recently, haven't there been? Yeah. You know, um, all across the last year or so, and and different issues and different things have uh, have come up, and in my in my mind, I break it down into three strands of uh, issues. Uh, that charities have to deal with. I think there's one that is about reputation and public trust. Mm -hmm. uh, and in that sphere, there are some things that are about governance. Uh, what do trustees expect yeah. of, of you as a charity? Uh, there's some things that are about fundraising, and that's been in the press a lot, yeah. the techniques that you use to fundraise and things like that. There are some things there that are about uh, politics, frankly. Mm, uh, yeah. um, the press, and indeed politicians, have in the past been 
supportive of charities. It looks and it feels like they've turned against charities mm. these, these days. So there's something there that is a, a, an, an issue. So for me, there's some issues that are about reputation and trust, governance being a big chunk of that. Then there are some issues that are about uh, the dichotomy between uh, what I would refer to as uh, commercialism, maybe being commercial, yeah. and moral purpose. Mm. Uh, now, most charities start because there is a moral imperative for them. Okay. We want to do something for children, we're going to do something for homeless people. Actually, we're outraged about X, Y, and Z that's happening, and we'll do something about it. That's where it tends to start from. Is there an inconsistency between doing good and being uh, uh, focused commercially. I think that's an interesting mm. dichotomy uh, for charities to deal with. It's not something that um, uh, I think the public understands. Yeah. Uh, it's not even something I think that charities understand themselves or have actually engaged in, and I think we ought to have a debate around that. This is this is my like internal eternal frustration with children in need, comic relief, the big yeah. sort of TV treatment of charities because yeah. that is all most of the public see, right? Mm. When it comes to charities, and I think it gives people a very skewed view of it does the day to day business of being in a charity, running a charity, providing those services, and it, everything. Else. It does, you know. Uh, on the, uh, the, the, the things that tend to feed off that and get the public going mm. about it, for example, is pay. So yeah. um, the reaction you get in the public to pay in charities mm. is so wide, ranges from at one end, actually charities are about doing good, yeah. and really nobody works in a charity should be paid. Yeah. They, should all be <laughs> they should all be volunteers. Yeah. Um, and do you know what? Because there are 160,000 charities in the UK, some that are very small, there are some that are run entirely by volunteers. In fact, probably Indeed. most are, aren't they? Most, you, yeah, exactly. If you look at most charities being very small amounts of money. And, exactly. Yeah. And I'm involved in yeah. one of those, yeah. actually, yeah. <laughs> which is, is, is just seven volunteers. And that's all, that's all yeah. that happens. And it does some good things. That's one end of the scale. But there's another end of the scale where actually these organizations are huge enterprises. You know, so take action for children, turnover nearly 200 million. Yeah. That is huge, 150 million, 200 million, whatever it is. That's a huge enterprise. It needs to be run professionally. Right, and it's like if you didn't have, if you didn't have a chief exec and a finance director and people who were running that properly and people were giving money to it, then yeah. You would, of course, get the same argument at the other end, at the other end saying, "Why is this money not being exactly. managed really well?" Exactly. <laughs> All the rest of it. So it's a difficult. Exactly. It's a difficult issue. Now, when you get into the territory of you need to run it properly, then actually you have to wear a commercial hat, mm. uh, and uh, the mantra we have for that here is to say, and we say it all the time. We say it to ourselves. We say it to young people. Um, we are not for profit, but we are also not for loss. Mm. Uh -huh. uh, for the simple reason that if we are for loss, we would only exist for a period of time. Yeah. 
after that period of time, we will get to a point when we can no longer exist. And if we can no longer exist, then we're of no good to any young person whatsoever. Absolutely, and as, as a trustee, I'm very happy that you say that internally <laughs> as well, because you we know, say it in board meetings. We're, so. we're not used yeah. to any young person if we get ourselves bust. Absolutely. You know? So as, as soon as you get into, we're, we're not for loss either, that means that you have to uh, adopt some commercial practices. Mm. And we shouldn't be ashamed of that at all. We, sh we should be upfront about it. It means finding the right people. The right people cost money. Yeah. So you've got to pay for them. If you haven't got the right people, how are you ever going to execute your plans? You know? uh, right people cost money, so you've got to pay for them. You have to pay people a fair wage. You know? Of course, you take account of the fact that they're working in a charity, they get a, they get a, an altruistic benefit for doing that, that's fine. But people live in a world. Yeah. <laughs> people still have, those people still have mortgages and still, you exactly. know. There has exactly. There to be some. So you have to pay people a fair wage. Uh, and I, I don't think we've explored this um, dichotomy between being commercial and doing good uh, sufficiently well. And then there is the, the third strand, which um, uh, is, is about the extent to which charities are charities or delivery agents mm. for statutory bodies. Yeah. And Anthony and I used to have long conversations about this kind of thing. Uh, and we used to despair that actually there are many, many businesses that are called charities only because they have a charitable status. <laughs> because if all you do is contract with government, it's local government or central government, to deliver public services, how are you different from Circle yeah, or, yeah. or Capita or G4S or whoever else contracts with government mm. to deliver public services? You're not. If you're a charity, you have a role to mobilize public support around whatever the issues are that you're particularly passionate about. Uh, and you know we 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 got to a stage where uh, some charities don't do that. They just they're one hundred percent dependent on uh, public funds because they're acting only as delivery agents for government. Yeah. So for me, those aren't charities at all. But we're all lumped together. Absolutely. And, and then I suppose what must be frustrating for you in recent times is there have been some quite high profile charities that have obviously gone bankrupt and uh, you know well we can. I was going to say we, we we don't have to name names, but we can name kids' company, right? Like the, this is a podcast. It's my, I make my own rules. So uh, you know, and I mean, it's the, the, the kids' company thing. I mean, I what? Did you see the uh, the BBC thing? The, yes. That documentary, and I sat there just absolutely enraged at the thought of like anybody who has given money to Centrepoint thinking that's how Centrepoint would, would run its affairs. And I think there'll be so many charities damaged by mm. just one mm. sort of case like that. So, and you, I think, you know, the role that you do, there must be so many examples of things like that that are so out of your control, but that have an impact on, on how you do your job, how you're judged, how the organisation goes, and even right down to the young people, right? So you yeah. mentioned before, there can be very rapid change in young people, but young people, when they come to Centrepoint, are at their most chaotic, they're yes. in a difficult place, and yes. so on and so forth. So tell me about 
um, how you handle that lack of control just personally? Because I think that must be a big issue. Well, it is um, because you're, you're right. Uh, our, our, our roles, our task, our work is all dependent on other people. Mm. Um, uh, whether it is uh, how we're funded or what we do with the funds, it, it's all dependent on people. And the interesting thing is that people never ever behave in straight lines. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you couldn't always say, if I do this, here's what I'll get. Look, if I'm manufacturing a car, I know that if I put some raw materials in the machine at yeah. this end, I will get at that end a piece that looks like this. Yeah. As long as I have followed a process that has been defined and refined over time. Do you know what? I can follow a process that is defined and refined and so on and so forth over time with a young person and not get a result. <laughs> you know? Because they're people. Yeah. We've got to recognize that. But then you've got a whole raft of stakeholders here uh, who uh, often don't recognize that. I mean, mm. one of the challenges we, 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 we have right now is that we set ourselves a goal for how many young people who come to certain point? Is that thunder? Must, yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> must leave center point or should leave center point in education, employment, or training. Yeah. It's a tough goal. Sometimes we get there. Sometimes we don't get there. Whether or not we get there is actually both only partly in our control. Mm. We can do all the right things. And it may be that a young person just doesn't do it. And yeah. if they don't do it, um, you have only very limited leverage, if you like. OK, here's the thing. This is the middle section. This is where there would usually be a commercial sponsor and there's not going to be a sponsor for this podcast because the sponsor is going to be Centerpoint and they haven't paid me to say this. I'm just giving them uh, the little bit of space here uh, in the middle of the podcast, that little bit of space between your earbuds to talk to you about sponsoring a room for Centerpoint. So if you go to centerpointroom.org.uk, you can find out about how you can sponsor a room it doesn't cost very much, and I promise you Centerpoint will put that money to amazing use, helping to empower a young person who's in need and in a vulnerable place right now who needs your help. It's not just about putting a roof over their head, but it's much more about giving them the skills and the abilities they need to move on in their lives. And in order to tell that story, I'm now going to introduce Peace. Peace was a young person who was in that situation. She needed help from Centerpoint. She got it. This is what happened. And you can go to centerpointroom.org.uk and help Centerpoint to support many, many more young people. Here's Peace. Hi there. My name is Peace. I came to Centerpoint five years ago as a very young, vulnerable girl who suffered from extreme family breakdown. I spent most of my nights on the night bus because it's where I felt safest. I had no vision or direction about where my life was heading. Centerpoint not only gave me a roof over my head, but also enabled me to chase my dreams. They helped me enrol in into university to study my dream course, law. 
They also gave me the opportunity to work at their head office as a participation assistant, building my skills and experience further. I am now working as an advice officer for Centrepoint. In my final year of my law degree and completely stable, with positive hopes for the future. If it wasn't for Centrepoint, I wouldn't have achieved this. If you would like to help a vulnerable young person like I was five years ago, you could do so by sponsoring a room at centerpointroom.org.uk. My impression at the moment is that when young people arrive at Centrepoint, there are more. There's a more complex range of issues and yes. and needs that they have now yes. than there was three, four years ago. Absolutely. And there's a whole government cuts backdrop to Absolutely. a lot of that stuff as well. Absolutely. Um, All of which makes that, that even more challenging. Yeah, yeah. But do you know what? Um, Funder A over here is really only interested in yeah. young people getting into employment and isn't particularly concerned about this underlying chaos you've got to deal with uh, isn't particularly interested in the fact that actually young people uh, make this journey in lots of different steps, some of which are steps forward, some of which are steps backwards, mm. and that you can't be disheartened with the backward steps. Yeah. You've got to get on again. And you have to go back and pass with that fund. I mean, I, if you were a commercial enterprise, your, your focus is um, much narrower, I think, than if you are a charity. Uh, you've got to satisfy your shareholders. Yeah. Okay. But it's also All very right. easy to measure how that's done. Absolutely. Right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And to satisfy your shareholders, you've got to satisfy some customers. Yeah. Who is my customer? Mm. I've got a whole ra raft of young people over here uh, our purpose is to help them to get a better life. Yeah. They can't pay for any of the services we offer them. So I've got a raft of payers yeah. over here uh, who don't derive a direct benefit for paying me. Mm. <laughs> they, got a, they get a proxy benefit. And there's a whole raft of them. Yeah. And I have to keep all these things in balance. I think that's what makes charities more complex than people give credit for. I completely agree. And I observe you just doing that very ably all the time. And particularly when there are, you know, big changes happening mm. in politics and new legislation coming in that could have mm. a huge impact on our mm. finances. What I often see is you being just one step ahead of the game with that, or probably three, four, eight, mm. 15 chess moves ahead with, with some of that stuff. And um, I often think about those things. When I, when I see the news story come out about the housing benefit being cut or whatever the thing is, I often think about where you are when you receive that news uh, and how that must make you feel. And I remember texting you on the morning after the general election result. Do you remember this? Yeah, and saying, I do. And saying um, something along the lines of, it's, it's not the government of the day's job to inspire young people, it's ours, and let's, let's carry on doing that. But That's right. When you, did you stay up on election night? Yes. And when, so you can, you can, uh, you can say this as, uh, you know, diplomatically or as undiplomatically as, as you want to, bearing in mind it's a podcast that goes out, but how, um, how much were you thinking about, oh my God, I've got so much more work to do now with a, with a conservative government? Like, what was, what was your reaction to that? A lot. <laughs> a lot. Um, but I don't 
often um, I'm quick to uh, think about what I need to do. Yeah. Um, I I was prepared. And we were, I mean, we were planning for every eventuality yeah, anyway, right? Exactly. Um, so, so I was prepared for things to go one way or another. I also felt I knew that the, there would be some things that would be incredibly difficult. Mm. Uh, and we didn't know how those things would unfold. Even though we had thought through, if this happened, here's what we'll do. If that happened, here's what yeah. we'll do. And we're doing that all the time. People think we're yeah, I'm crazy <laughs> when I go, now let's model what if yeah. A, B, and C. Yeah. Let's just prepare ourselves um, uh, for this. Because I think you have to be prepared like that. But I was also thinking, actually, there's an opportunity here. Uh, we've got a home and a job as a mantra. Mm. Everyone understands that it's simple. Let's give young people a home, a place to live now. Let's help them to get well, get some skills, get a job. Let's help them to move on. Yeah. When they move on from us, if they've got a job, they can keep a home. Job done. We're satisfied. Everyone's happy. Yeah. Young person's happy. We're happy. Uh, we feel like we have succeeded. Uh, we can wave our flags and go off to the next young person and move on. Um, so, uh, and they were committing themselves, conservatives, to creating so many more apprenticeships. So, for me, I'm immediately saying, okay, there's an opportunity here. Uh, uh, now mind all the difficult stuff. We'll, we'll yeah. deal with all the yeah. difficult stuff. But if we can overcome that, hang on, guys, there's a prize here. Absolutely. And, and I guess it's like, you know, uh, you might look at it sort of one way around as being home in capital letters and job in small letters. And yeah. then you, in another way around, you go, well, the home in small letters here, but actually, job, this it, is a huge opportunity. This is a terrific yeah. opportunity uh, here. Uh, so, so, then, so then I come in to my colleagues and I say, guess what, guys? We've got a new government. Mm. Don't be downhearted. Some things are going to be tough. But you know what? If we can overcome these tough things, here's the prize. Can we get young, yeah. more young people uh, into this zone here? Because, frankly, youth unemployment has been a problem. Yeah. It's been a big problem for many, 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 many years. So let's address our minds to uh, how do we make sure that this opportunity doesn't leave our young people mm. bereft. What was, what was the mood like when you walked into the office that day oh, after the election? Down. Yeah. Very, very down. Uh, remember, coming into the election, the consensus have been talking about uh, 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 removing automatic entitlement to housing benefit for young people 18 to 21 years old. That's and just, just paint a picture in terms of the size of Centrepoint and what the impact of that could have been on well so just we in that we, election we, eve sort of that that's right so we have uh one one thousand two hundred and fifty beds thereabout uh at the time uh seventy six percent of our young people uh, uh were dependent on housing benefit in full to pay their rent Another roughly about 12% are in work, but depend on 
housing benefit to top up their income so they can pay their rent. So only just over 10% of young people are in work and able to pay their rent. And more than four-fifths of our young people are 18 to 21. So for us, this was a huge problem. We're talking about roughly rents received of around five million pounds in a turnover of 20 million at that time. <laughs> so that's a quarter, which is a huge chunk. Uh, so you can imagine that people were very downhearted because this is what yeah. is, 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 we, we see coming on the on the horizon. No, so I guess it's the you, biggest it's, one. And I guess it's your job and your immediate team's job and the board's job to do some of that future thinking. But for yes. most people here, they're so caught up in doing the day-to-day -day work as well as they possibly can. They'll be thinking about that to some degree, but probably not to the same degree that you are. And so you're already slightly past that point on the change curve, right? You're starting to think about the opportunities and you're coming into the office on that day where everyone's just, it's just hit them like a, like a stone and they're, they're just in that kind of shock yes. mode, you know? Yes, so um, I had done a, a series of uh, talking point sessions. Mm. I, I, I do that now um, on a cyclical basis. I had one in London, one in Sunderland, one in Bradford. And I do it uh, yeah. on a cyclical basis. Just talking to staff and colleagues about um, uh, what I'm doing, what I see coming down the track, mm. uh, how I think someone could respond to that, and then listening back to what, what they're seeing. Yeah. You know. uh, so in the talking points that I had done before the election, I had been saying, actually two sessions before then, I'd been saying to them, um, uh, if Labour won the election... There are some things we can expect. And this bit of it is good for us. This bit of it is not so good for us. Mm. Uh, and the things that are good for us, here are the things we must do about them. Yeah. Things that aren't so good, here are the things we must do about them. If the Conservatives won the election, these are the things we can expect. Here are some things we can do. Here are some things we need to do. Uh, all those kind of things. So, in a sense, I had synthesized the organization to uh, what might happen depending on which government we got mm. from the election. But the truth is that when you say these things and you believe them to be the case and you live and breathe these things, actually, uh, people don't often take it all in. Yeah. Yeah, this is where there are too many options yeah. anyway, and, and no, we'll deal with that. I find that, that when it with happens. things like that for me as well that I don't. You know, I can do the thinking in an abstract way, but then there is a big difference between then seeing David Dimbleby at ten o'clock saying this is what's actually happening, and then exactly, do you know what I mean? Um, exactly. So I'd love to just talk a bit more about uh, just how you juggle some of those things personally. So let's just talk about. Uh, what's about attention management? Uh, so just as we were starting the conversation, I was trying to get you to uh, test the microphone and stuff, and you're like scrolling on your phone, and then I felt like you put the phone down, and it's like now you're all in, you're all on giving me your full attention. And you were just saying at that point, sometimes you give people your full attention, and then your assistant will 
just have a, a, a sort of small fit by the fact that you're giving people more of your attention than you perhaps anticipated or that they anticipated, and it sort of knocks your schedule out and stuff. So I just wanted to talk about that in terms of how do you see your, you know, I, I suppose how do you see your working day and how do you see the length of that and what do you see as the, the big things that you need to bring to the job, I guess, in terms of attention? Well, I mean, uh, my, working, my working day is quite long. I have to leave home, say, quarter to seven or so. And, you know, and if I did, then I would be on my desk about eight, something like that. Um, and if I have a full day in the office, I rarely leave before six. Mm. Most days I leave at seven. And if I have an evening event to go to, uh, then I leave at six and go to that evening event and then go home. So that, that's a typical day uh, in, in terms of the length of the day. Uh, in terms of the content of the day itself, uh, that can be variable. Yeah. Um, I, of course, I've got a diary and um, it's quite full and we try to stick to the diary but one of the things that drives my assistants crazy <laughs> is that sometimes, in fact, many times, we have to change the diary <laughs> because things are evolving yeah. that need attention now. And my priorities are sometimes not theirs. Mm. So, so sometimes they can't see why I want to give attention to a particular thing, uh, either because they just can't see that that thing is yeah. important enough, or they think, oh, goodness gracious me, that's another appointment I've got to move <laughs> and, and reschedule. And uh, sometimes I, I suspect a combination of both. But if I think that in our world, there is a lot of variety and evolution and things can move very quickly. I think even more so now, there is more uncertainty mm. around um, in almost every aspect of what we do. And I think if there's a lot of uncertainty around, you have to leave yourself room to manage in the moment. I, in my book, have a whole thing around the sort of weekly and daily review checklists and stuff. Do you have lists around doing that, or do you do a lot of that more instinctively? Uh, well, I have a list. I always have a list. And what's the list? A to-do list or a project list, or both? Uh, it's both. I just put the volume yeah. in, in one go, which means that my list is quite messy because there are some <laughs> things that are yeah. quite easy to do, and there are some things that won't go away yeah. for some time uh, because they take longer, they're more complex, and things like that. But it helps me to keep in view yeah, the different pieces that are moving around all the time. I geekly yeah. right now want to come and work with you on your list and like separate those two things out more and stuff. <laughs> but we'll have that conversation another time. <laughs> <laughs> but I, but I, I think then that even though I have a list, I'm not one of these people that I'm not one of those people that are um, very rigid. 
Yeah, you strike me as someone who is About quite agile least. in terms of how you chop and change and how your priorities yeah. change as well as you yeah. go through days and weeks and stuff. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. And I, I think one has to be able to do that uh, so then it becomes really important how you make the judgment about urgency, importance, yeah. how yeah. critical something is, potentially impact, you know, all those range of things. And you can't make those decisions. Um, you, you can make them for yourself, but actually somebody else would make a completely different set of decisions. Yeah. Because what decisions you make, how you stream all of that stuff, how you react to what is evolving, is all steeped in and based on your own, uh, on who you are, yeah, yeah, on your experiences, you know, um, on your view of the future, and and because everyone is different, mm. uh, actually, how we order those things can be different too, which then means that. The choices you make are not always universally popular. And yeah, and also I was just going to ask you about um, decision fatigue. So you're somebody who would be making a lot of decisions all day, every day. You're working long days. I'm sure I was going to say you must get to Friday afternoon, but if you're anything like me, probably Thursday afternoon, even Wednesday morning, and feel like, man, I've had so much to deal with this week, and you know you feel a bit frazzled. How do you deal with that? Like if you're, if you know that you're tired and not quite on top form and something really big hits, A, are you conscious of that? And then B, what do you do about it? Uh, I know, Greg, you're going to say this is a bad habit. (laughs) And and you're probably right. But I don't stop. I don't have... (laughs) I don't have those moments. Uh, I just go on. It doesn't matter to me that it is Friday or Saturday or whatever it is, I just carry on. Um, what, what tends to happen to me is that when I am tired, I know because my reaction time and my thinking time is slower. Mm. Uh, and it, it feels a bit more difficult. Yeah. Or, or it takes longer. Um, then I know that I need a breather. Mm. And how do you do that? Um, I take time off. Um, I might take an afternoon off. Do, do you plan those in way in advance, or are you quite sort of turn on a sixpence, had a really much busier couple of weeks than I expected, it's Thursday, I'm just going to take Friday afternoon, for example? Like with that, is that the kind of thing that will happen? Yes. Subject to my diary. Mm. Subject to my diary. Um, sometimes I can't do it... Um, I'm, I'm never stressed unless I don't feel in control. Mm. And I don't feel in control if I can't see my way through. Yeah. As long as I can see my way through something, um, even if it will be uh, hard and take time, Things like that, that doesn't bother me at all. Mm. I, I, can, I can deal with that. Uh, the, the thing that I find stressful is if I cannot see my way through yeah. and I can't see how 
I come out at the at the other end, um, then I can get a bit uh, stressed about that. A lot of people would say, listen to that, that that you know, it certainly strikes me as you have a very strong reserve of resilience. Is that something you feel? Yes. And where does that uh, come from? First of all, I am very passionate about what I do. Mm. My best moments are when young people tell me of how well they've done. Uh, and I thrive on that. Mm. I, I love that. Um, and I, I, I always think that's something worth fighting for. Yeah. Uh, so there's a bit of that. And do you feel uh, conscious with that, that it's like, I need to make sure I'm in front of those stories often enough to sort of fill the well of resilience in a way? Or if, yeah, I, no, you know, if, I, if I don't it, have that, it will, I'll, it, I'll get demotivated. If I don't have that, I will be demotivated. If, yes. I mean, if Centre Point was not succeeding and young people weren't, um, weren't coming through, I would be, I think I would be demotivated. I think I would be unhappy. I think I would wonder uh, whether or not I should carry on. Mm. Um, uh, but happily, we're not in, in that position. And, and I don't have to fish around for those stories. Right, yeah. Uh, because it happens, you know, and... We see it, uh, and then people come and tell me, young people come and tell me themselves, because I met them somewhere and had a chat. Thank you, yeah, Graham. So they, they come and say to me, hey, this is what's happening, yeah. and, and so on and so forth. So, so um, I, I'm moved by that um, quite a lot. Uh, then there are other things that I do, which aren't at the point related, that, I, that I'm also moved about, and, and I'm equally passionate about it and I give time to. Mm. Uh, so I think my capacity to carry on is just driven by these outcomes, yeah. if, you, if you like. Um, it, that sounds pretty sterile, but <laughs> stick with that word. To, to yeah, yeah, yeah. And giving um, that, that full attention to not just centre point but the other things that you're working on, does that make you grumpy at home? Like, Is there an outlet for the... The sort of, you know, there, there must be times where you're just like, oh, I just want to sort of loaf on the sofa and not have to talk to anyone and I just feel really tired and stuff. So, like, you know, does it drive your family nuts that you're so driven by what you do? I think they're used to it. <laughs> um, but it still drives them nuts. Uh, I, I, don't know, I don't think it drives them nuts so much anymore. Um, and... And I also, I, I'm starting to make some effort yeah. uh, to uh, also give them some attention and not just be totally consumed by, by this. I mean, um, but, you know, I've always been like this. Mm. Um, many, many, many years ago, um, my son, I think he was probably about eight or nine at the time, that wasn't him secondary school, was approaching secondary school. Um, and out of the blue, he said, uh, 
I'm, I'm never going to be an accountant like my dad. <laughs> uh, and so, of course, we, not that I wanted him to be an accountant or anything like that, but I thought it was strange that he should say that. So we said, well, well why? And, and he said, oh, he works too hard. Um, and I don't want to have to work that, that hard. Um, and I think it's because he sees me do stuff at work and then he sees me do it at home mm. as well. Um, I, hate, I hate to do something that's not good enough. Mm. Did that hurt when he told you that? No. <laughs> it didn't. I just thought to myself, well, you'll make your own way. <laughs> and, and, you know, you'll, 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 uh, you'll sort yourself out when you, when you get across <laughs> the bridge. Uh, which, interestingly, having sworn and continued to swear that he wouldn't be an accountant, <laughs> he's now studying professional accounting exams. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> So maybe his view changed. I, I said, you've seen the light. Yeah, yes. <laughs> this is great. You know, his view uh, changed when he understood your work a bit more. Maybe that Yeah, <laughs> you know, um, yes, that's right. I, I, like, I like to think so. But, you know, I mean, so I, I, I just, I'm not happy if I've done something that I don't feel is the best that I could have done. And do you think, is that, does that come from just an inherent motivation or is it perfectionism? And to distinguish between the two? I don't think I was like that as a, as a young boy growing up or anything like that. I don't think I was. Um, I think when I was in university, I wanted to do well. Um, but I think when I went to, when I left university, um, um, one of my first jobs was, well, actually my very first job, after I left university, was in the civil service. And I didn't feel that the job challenged me. I think that's probably when this started to develop. Mm. So I went to work for uh, PricewaterhouseCoopers. And the people that I worked with were absolute perfectionists. Um, and I worked there for quite some time. And I think I just got into, into that uh, sort of uh, frame of mind uh, there, where actually was not good <clears throat> enough. It's just not good enough. Yeah, you know. Um, and and I haven't got away from that at all. Mm. And tell me about the move from PwC into the charity world. What, what was the motivation for making that move? Well, so I, I, I was working for... When I left PwC, um, I, I went to work for Citibank. And, and later on, I went to work for Par Bank Paribas in, in corporate banking. So I was doing all that, all that stuff. All that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so then... I uh, got out of that and got into housing uh, because by that time I didn't really want to go back because my, my children were young Yeah. Uh, at the time. They were very young. Um, and uh, I, I wanted to look after them. And for me that meant that I, w I wanted to 
uh, if it was possible, uh, take them to school. Mm. And I wanted to spend evenings with them because I, I felt that I needed to give them myself yeah. at that time when, when they were young. So that was part of the, that was part of the driver for me, actually. Uh, I can totally relate to that, having a young son as well. And I uh, <laughs> should just say, uh, <laughs> Selena, Selena thank has you. Just, has that's all right, we're recording, that's but that's totally fine. We, we leave all this stuff in, so <laughs> welcome to the podcast. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so Selena has just yeah, come in. Yeah, I'll film. <laughs> this is a good uh, illustrator of one of the key themes of Beyond Busy is Selena's just come in with an 11.30 post-it yeah, note. Yeah, really to, yeah. Stop <laughs> to talking. You, you talk too much. So, and you're, you're giving me your full attention. So let's just uh, just explore a couple of very quick themes then before we finish. Yeah. So um, I, like, I just think you're... Um, level of motivation and that you sort of using your skills really well and you know feeling like you you really want to do a job really well um, it interests me what the flip side of that would be in terms of work-life balance and I totally uh, you know I, I can really relate to that whole thing of wanting to be around for your kids right yeah. my kids are two and a half and yeah I actually make a lot of decisions these days not based on is this the most profitable thing for me to be doing or the or even the most social That's purpose right. thing for me to be doing but actually That's what right. does this mean for family life and home life and that be has become a much bigger part of my yeah sort of uh the lens that i is it for me it's probably the biggest lens that i look through in terms yeah. of how i make decisions about how i do stuff um in terms of where you see yourself on that uh sort of continuum of work-life balance or how you how you interact with work-life balance like when i say work-life balance to you what what does that conjure up for you what, what I think for me that, that just means that um, you have to find a um, you have to find a balance in all areas of your life, uh, and um, and that's different from person to person. Mm. But you have to find the the one that works for you and uh, makes you happy. Yeah. Uh, so, I I am a Christian. I have a faith. Uh, I couldn't uh, be happy if I wasn't able to spend time on things that feed my faith, mm. right? So, uh, so part of the things that I do is give time to that. And for me, that's part of how I find balance. Yeah. Um, I follow Arsenal Football Club. Uh, I, I suspect that brings you more happiness than following Aston Villa. <laughs> I don't know, you know. <laughs> it's all relative. It's all relative. It's all relative. <laughs> it is all relative. Um, and uh, I, I, I go to see the, the I go to see matches. Uh, and they can be really good times because when I go, I go with my children, mm. uh, the, the two older ones, um, and, and we have a good time together. Yeah. You know? uh, so that gives me a, a, bit of, a, a bit of balance. I do... Do you say a bit of balance there? Do you, do you want more? I mean, do you want more of the, I guess, the home life and less of the work life, or are you comfortable in... 
your I, own skin then? I, I am comfortable because I can, I, I, I do what I, what I want to do, mm. right? Um, if, I, if I want to uh, go and see my daughter, I just go and see her. <laughs> uh, and it's a Saturday, it's a long drive. I, Saturday I come back on a Sunday. And we have good time together. And and do you know what? It doesn't mean I can't do any other things. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I can because these days, you know, you've got that. Yeah. Got an iPad, you know. So you, you, you it doesn't stop you mm. from doing other things. I think technology, uh uh as long as it's not abused, uh, actually give us opportunity to find that balance more easily. Right, and it's about giving that, giving that full attention through technology rather than having yeah. your attention completely scattered by yeah, technology. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. So so for me, it's, it's that, it, it's the fact that I can uh, give myself to those other things that help me to find meaning and balance in, mm. in, in what I do, you know. So I don't feel stressed. So you feel quite comfortable sense. with where you're where you're at in terms of work-life balance. Do you feel happy? Yes, yes. I mean, I would, um, I would be unhappy if I got into a situation in which, uh, let's say, my job was not being productive. And for me, productive is is just. I have a tunnel view about this, which just drives some of my colleagues mad at times. For me, productive is are young people getting through. Mm. If they're getting through, we're productive. Yeah. If they're not getting through, we're not. So what we've got to do to, to make it better. Uh, as long as I, I can get that, I can feed my faith, uh, which is important to me. Uh, I have the time I give to my children when uh, I need to. Not even need to when the when when it is right to is is probably even best because you know my my children are young people they're not that young any they don't need me uh, as much as they used to uh, when they did they got my full attention when I mm. first came to work yeah. for Centre Point one of the first things I said to Anthony is uh, don't hire me. Anthony if, was your your well, what was my boss predecessor as CEO yeah. when he was your boss at the time yeah yeah don't hire me if you expect me to be here uh, <laughs> at nine o'clock because I can't do it mm. uh, I can't do it it's important to me uh, that I drive my children to school before I come here well they needed yeah. me at the time yeah you know uh, uh, so please don't put any meetings before ten. If you put it before ten, I can't be there. And he was fine, mm. you know, with that. And we walked around it. Now, when they didn't, they don't need me for that anymore. They need me for other things. I'm there, you know. So, uh, so that gives me comfort um, uh, that they know that they can reach me anytime. I know that I can reach them anytime. They are an, they are a big part of of my life. Um, I have a, a an eight-year-old now uh, means that I've got to be flexible about some things, mm. and I am. So um, I, you, I can't tell you how much I agonized today about uh, going to the film premiere 
this evening. That was a tough call for me uh, because it means that I'm going to miss her parents' evening. And I don't like mm. to do that yeah. at all. Um, uh, so I'm weighing my responsibility at work against my responsibility mm. to be at that parents' evening because it's important to her uh, 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 that I am. On this occasion, I can't do it. But in general, I never not go. You know, whatever else is is going on. And I guess to me that sounds like classic Shay agility, right? And just in terms of how you juggle and, yeah. and move these things. I'm going to ask you one more question. If I ask you any more questions, Selena will probably kill me, right? <laughs> so, uh, so I'm going to ask you a, a sort of summary two-part question. So uh, first part of the question is, do you feel successful right now? Yes. And how do you define that? Well, you can, one, for me, being successful is um, living a life that matters. And I think my life matters. It matters because what I do has an impact, an influence uh, uh, on other people that is mostly positive. So for me, that's a huge definition of success. The other thing for me is, is my family thriving? My family is important to me. Mm. Uh, and by God's grace, they are. So that makes me happy. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy uh, that um, my children are doing well. Uh, doesn't mean they don't get things wrong every child does uh, but by and large they're good children uh, so I'm happy with that my home life is settled I'm happy I mean I, they, 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 I often explore for myself and it's interesting and I don't find it a dichotomy at all this question between ambition and contentment mm. um, or, or, because sometimes people say to me, oh, actually, there's a dichotomy there. I don't think there is. Uh, I don't find that there is for me because I think I'm ambitious. In fact, I think I'm pretty... Maybe, I think I'd agree with that, yeah. Ambitious. <laughs> uh, but I'm content. Yeah. You know? Um, uh, and and I, I, I think that's probably because uh, my, my ambition is not a um, one that hasn't got any boundaries you know and um, I want to be the best that I can be mm. I'm happy that I'm able to be that I strive to get better at it but I'm content with my life <laughs> you know? mm. so um, I don't see the dichotomy uh, in in that way. So I feel that I'm, I feel that I'm successful, and I'm quite happy with myself. So that's it for another episode of Beyond Busy. I hope you enjoyed Shay Abakin, and I think he just had so many 
uh, interesting little little nuggets of wise words there and stuff to share, which I think will uh, will there will certainly be some nice quotes from Shay in the book when the book finally comes out. That is for sure. So if you enjoyed Shay. Uh, please do consider going to centerpointroom.org.uk and sponsoring a room. Uh, thanks also to Mark Steadman from Bloomsbury Digital, who has been, he's my producer on this show, but more than that, he's really been a bit of a mentor in working out what the hell this podcasting thing is all about and uh, helping me to sort of navigate my way through that landscape. So, so thank you, Mark, for your help with that. You can find Mark's contact details at getbeyondbusy.com along with the show notes and links to the previous episodes and everything else and just a bit more info. Um, so that's just getbeyondbusy.com. Uh, and finally, just a couple of other places you can you can connect with me. So uh, my book is called How to Be a Productivity Ninja. Everyone's read that by now, right? Have you got that book? So if you haven't read that book, please uh, go and buy a copy of How to Be a Productivity Ninja. Uh, you can get it on Amazon. You can get it at WH Smiths and Waterstones and Barnes and & Noble and everywhere else. Uh, so I'd love you to go and um, check out How to Be a Productivity Ninja. And uh, you can drop me a line on email. So I'm just graham at thinkproductive.co.uk. On the Twitter, I'm just graham Alcott, just all one word. Uh, and please just tell your friends and subscribe and spread the word. Um, it really helps if you can rate the podcast and uh, put comments and uh, give it lots of stars and all that sort of stuff. That really helps to just put it up the algorithms and it gets shared more and more. So um, if you want to just find a way of helping and you don't want to give me any money for my book or anything else, uh, then it's just free to just go and rate the podcast and give it five stars and that kind of thing. So please do that. Um, finally, I'm going to be in Toronto and New York in April 2016. So if you can think of anybody who you think would be really good for me to interview for Beyond Busy, uh, then please do let me know. The idea is that all of these interviews are going to be done face-to-face. So while I'm in New York, while I'm in Toronto, maybe there's someone really cool who's there. So we've got a couple of feelers out of, of different emails that have gone out to people who I'd love to get. Uh, but there, there's some slots. Uh, I have some, some time available to do a couple of interviews. So if you know of someone who you think would be really good, uh, and particularly just anyone who has a good, interesting take on productivity, on work-life balance, and on how they define happiness and success, uh, then drop me a line just on email, just graham at thinkproductive.co.uk. Um, and finally, 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 while I'm sharing all these different things and uh, giving you lots of places to go and look up stuff, um, please do have a look at thinkproductive.co.uk and thinkproductive.com. Uh, we run a range of productivity workshops, uh, often described as life-changing and the best training they've ever done and all that sort of thing. Uh, so uh, please do go and check that out. Um, all of our stuff's very practical. Uh, we mainly work in-house, so we go into your company, we work at your real desk and help you to achieve brilliant productivity uh, straight away. So uh, thinkproductive.co.uk, thinkproductive.com and around the world you'll find um, different sites uh, from thinkproductive.com. Um, so thanks again for being here and giving me your attention on Beyond Busy. Hope you've enjoyed it. There'll be another episode out in a couple of weeks. If you haven't subscribed already, please do. And until next time, thanks for listening to Beyond Busy. Mm-hmm.